Every child needs to learn he is not God, that he is under, and he is not the most important force in the universe. In the universe of the family, he is not first. And this is a role that both mom and dads have to be on the same page about. Children need to know they are not first in the home. And this is mom's day. Moms, this comes on you. Because it's so, you are so tempted to make your children first. They are not. Your husband's first. And husbands, your wife is first. And the kids need to know that. And they are more likely to be secure and well-behaved and know that they are loved when they know they are not the center of the home. They are not the center of their world. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast, and thanks for joining us. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. You know, a major concern for both Arlene and me over the last few years has been the struggle we've witnessed a number of young parents having in regards to the disciplining of their children. It's been my observation that what once seemed to be a very clear teaching in Scripture has, in these latter years, plummeted into questioning and therefore chaos. When we refuse to discipline our children, we deny them by our inactivity the benefit of finding out that life doesn't revolve around them. I say that it is to their benefit because it is in that place, that place where we begin to realize that life doesn't revolve around me, that we begin to see Christ is to be the very center and source of our existence. Our director, Charlie McCall, recently preached on this topic from 1 Kings chapter 1, which I'm going to share with you now in a two-part series. So here is part one, which I've entitled, The Sin of Self-Exaltation. 1 Kings 1, 5 through 10. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with fifty men to run before him. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, Why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab the son of Zariah, and with Abathar the priest, and following Adonijah, they helped him. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zoloth with his beside in Rogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, the mighty men, and Solomon his brother. And I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we are just so grateful for all that you um, have done for us, all that you are, God, um, to us. We know that we live because you are life itself, and to have you is to have eternal life. We thank you for um, loving us and for the grace that you have showered upon us. We thank you for the ministry of your Spirit who teaches us and leads us into all that is true. And we pray again that we would hear His voice, Lord, and that our hearts would be drawn to You, and that we would humble ourselves before You and say yes, God, to all that You have for us. 
In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, this is not a Mother's Day sermon. Um, I've learned over the years, sometimes on a rare occasion I've given a Mother's Day sermon um, as well as a Father's Day sermon, but it seems that um, the moms don't really often want a Mother's Day sermon. And those that don't have moms, it makes them, I mean, don't have, everybody has a mom. Those that don't have children, it makes them sometimes feel bad. So um, no Mother's Day sermon. But this is a sermon about um, family in a bit, and, and, and it certainly applies to raising our kids. Um, you recall that David is 70 years old, and he's, a, he's approaching death. He knows that. Everybody now knows that. They tried to um, ascertain whether David still has the physical strength to be king, and they've come to the conclusion that he does not. And so now Adonijah, who is the oldest surviving son of David, has said, this is my chance to be king. There were older sons in the family, but they've all died. Adonijah was number four, and it it appears that he is the oldest now of those four oldest boys. Solomon was down the line. Um, he, we don't know exactly where he fit in next, but um, it could have been as number 10 or as high as number 6, um, but Solomon is definitely younger than Adonijah. And so Adonijah has been sitting in the background, not really happy that the throne is going to his little brother. He feels that by birthright it belongs to him. And so he's been biding his time, waiting for the time where he can take the throne. David's made it known. It is public that the will of the king is that Solomon be the next king. You can't change your will after you die, as we all know. And so Adonijah can't wait until after David dies to take the throne. He needs to take the throne while David's alive so that everybody would assume that David has given the throne to his son. So he's waiting, has been waiting, until his dad is too weak to oppose him. There was another brother, Absalom, who tried to take the throne while David was still strong. And that son, Absalom, underestimated his father's strength, and he ended up losing his life. So Adonijah is looking for a window of opportunity when dad is not dead, But dad is too weak to oppose the taking of the throne. And when Adonijah hears that David did not sleep with Abishag, the most beautiful woman in all the country, Adonijah comes to the conclusion, it's not because dad wouldn't, it's because dad couldn't. And now that means dad is so weak that he can't keep me from taking the throne. In addition, Adonijah has gotten the two most powerful men in the nation to back him. Joab, the commander of the army, and Abathar, the priest. And so how can he lose? Dad's weak, commander of the army is behind him, and Abathar, the priest, also supports him. So it looks as though he has everything going for him, and this is a conspiracy that is not going to be overthrown. So it starts out and says that Adonijah exalted himself, and already big red flags should go up. He exalted himself? Is that how David became king? By exalting himself? No. 
David was a forgotten son, literally, taking care of the sheep. And even the dad could not believe that the youngest, the runt, would be the king of Israel. Did Saul exalt himself to be king? Saul was hiding in the baggage when they came to make him king. So the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David, had no ambitions to be king. Did not want to be king. Reluctant leaders. Humble men when they started. And now we have a man who is exalting himself to be king. Well, what's so bad about that? Everything. Self-exaltation is the, is the character of the devil himself. Ezekiel 28, speaking of Satan, Lucifer, God says that your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And then in Isaiah 14, 13 and following, God is giving us the narrative of what was going on in Satan's heart, Lucifer's heart. And he, God said, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. Wow. Five I wills. That's pretty scary. Not only is self-exaltation the character of Satan, we shouldn't be surprised that it's also the character of the Antichrist. Second, second, second Thessalonians 2 verse 4, Paul says, Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Wow. There's an old Far Side cartoon where two deer, two deer are talking to each other and the one deer says to the other one, boy Hal, it's a bummer of a birthmark. And Hal's got a big bullseye <laughs> birthmark on his chest. <laughs> and so I, I always think about that when I think of the verse that says, everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. No sure way to make yourself the target of God than to exalt yourself. Promote yourself. And you might as well just be drawing a bullseye on your chest and saying, shoot me. You will be humbled. James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud. But the promise of God is the one who humbles himself shall be exalted. Exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But humble yourself and God will exalt you. The attitude, the character of Jesus, polar opposite of self-exaltation. We know this from Philippians chapter 2 where Paul writes and he says, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no hint of self-exaltation, self-promotion in Jesus. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Adonijah exalting himself to be king. He was plotting, he was scheming, something that I often ask girls if that's what they're doing when I see them huddled and talking. Are you plotting and scheming? He is partnering with others for influence. He is forming alliances and friendships that advance him. He's putting confidence in who he knows. And he's hiding his true intentions. All of those are marks of a person who is seeking to exalt himself. Scary, scary stuff. He is one self-willed man. How did he become this way? Well, we know theologically this is how we all are born. That movie that came out years ago, Finding Nemo, and what, what do those seagulls all say? Mine, 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 mine. It's in all of us. Just go back and help in the nursery, and you'll see it. It's in all of us. And Adam and I just going, the throne is mine, 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 mine. Exalting himself to be king, not content with the station in life that God has given him. When I can't live within the boundaries that God has established, it is pride. But there are three things that certainly didn't help him not be a self-willed man. Three things in Adonijah's life that just reinforced the self-will spirit of self-exaltation. Verse 6. First thing, his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? Can you imagine? I can't. <laughs> That's my dad chuckling there. And I could tell you some stories. Wow. We many times were crossed. And it was much more than just why have you done so? Do you want to live is more like it. I remember teasing and saying that my dad taught us to say yes, sir, no, sir. And if we said, huh, that he would respond with, sure, I'll spank you. <laughs> well, I thought you were asking for a whipping. That's what we called him back in the day, whippings, because that's what they were. And he never did said that, but I knew that you might as well have been asking for a whipping as to respond with, huh, instead of, yes, sir, no, sir. That was good. A kid needs to learn, every child needs to learn he is not God. That he is under 
And he is not the most important force in the universe. In the universe of the family, he is not first. And this is a role that both mom and dads have to be on the same page about. Children need to know they are not first in the home. And this is mom's day. Moms, this comes on you. Because it's so, you are so tempted to make your children first. They are not. Your husband's first. And husbands, your wife is first. And the kids need to know that. And they are more likely to be secure and well-behaved and know that they are loved when they know they are not the center of the home. They are not the center of their world. They come somewhere down. It's a good thing for a child to know he is not first. When my older brother married, um, he married a Scottish girl. And after the wedding, we had a reception. I guess it was a rehearsal reception. And we were back in his future father-in-law's home. And um, the father-in-law, future father-in-law made the announcement. And he says, um, the adults will go through first to be served and the children will go last. I was um, 20 years old and I was the best man in the wedding. I did not consider myself a child. And so when he said the adults can go first, I got in line with the adults. And this stately Scottish gentleman came over and put his hand on my shoulder and said, the children will go last. And I said, I know. <laughs> and he had to tell me again, the children will go last. Okay, I guess you're talking to me. Not a bad thing. That same man, he came here and he was visiting in our home here in Bernie. And he was telling his story and he said that when he got out of university, he took a job as a, an assistant bookkeeper at a steel mill in, um, in Scotland. And by the time he retired, he was in charge. He was the top man of the entire steel industry for the United Kingdom. And he said this, my first job was the only job I ever applied for. And he never promoted himself. He never exalted himself. He lived a humble, quiet, godly life, and God exalted him. He did not promote himself. And he, said, and, it, and he just said it to the praise of God. He says, I never applied for a job. I never even sought a job. God promoted me. Amazing. That was not Adonijah. Every... Fall, Torchbearers had a, a board meeting out in California, Fallbrook, California. I was expected to be there even though I was not on the board. And, um, and I would stay typically in the home of an old friend. He had children my age, five kids, four girls, one boy, and I, I knew all of his children and I really respected this, this man, the patriarch of the family. He had taught at his hill. I'd known him for many years. And so when um, I was married and we were having children, he took special interest in us because he was invested in our lives. 
And I would stay in his home, and, and I'll never forget one time. I think it must have happened more than once, because usually things have to happen more than once for me to remember them. But I was sitting in his home, and this great big man, large man, 6'6", six, six, you know, 280 pounds or something, deep voice, and he's going, Charlie, what's the most important thing for you and Patsy to teach those kids? Well, that's easy. Love Jesus. No. <laughs> How can, I thought Jesus was always the right answer. No. no. Okay, man, now I'm really, you know, and I, and I, 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 I don't, you know, be kind to one another. No. <laughs> Receive Christ. No. And I'm just going, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a loser dad. And he goes, teach them to obey. He goes, that is the charge of God for every parent, whether they know God or not. God's one will for every parent is they teach their children to obey. And I'm going, and I know his five kids. They're wonderful, good people. And they all love God. And I know this man loved his family and he loves his grandchildren. He's a teddy bear of a guy as big as he was. But he was authoritarian as well. And he told me this. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Think about the connection, Charlie. If you do not teach your children to obey, they will never be able to love God or love anybody else. Because the demonstration of love is obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you cripple everything in a child's life if you let a child just run wild, if you let a child just find his own way, just discover his own bents, his own directions, you hurt that child. David, I'm sorry, Solomon will say in, in Proverbs 13, 24, the father who disciplines his child loves him. And the father who withholds discipline hates him. Solomon must have been thinking of his own dad as he wrote those words. Because Adonijah was a boy who had never been disciplined. Not once. When you grow up like that, how can you love? When you have never learned to yield your will to another. Because that's what love is. Love is saying, life's not about me. And I am willing to give my life for another. I have to be able to learn to say no to self to love another person or I am loving them selfishly. And that's not love. When our oldest son was not even able to walk yet, so he was nine, ten months old, he pulled himself up to my mom's coffee table and I'm sitting across on the other side of the coffee table on the couch. She had these brass ducks lined up on the coffee table. Ten-month-old boy, he wanted those ducks. And he pulls up to the coffee table and he reaches out to grab those ducks. And I said, Nathan? And he looked at me. He smiled. And I said, no. And I know he knows his name. And I know he knows what no means. And I said, no. 
And he just smiled, kept his eyes fixed on me, and kept reaching for those ducks. <laughs> Little rascal. And I swatted his little hand. <laughs> Lips quivering. <laughs> you mean I'm not God? <laughs> I don't just do whatever. I can't do everything I want. No. It begins when they're so young. I came out in the garage one time, and my sweet little girl, maybe three years old, Somehow she'd popped the lid off the paint can. And she'd gotten a three and a half inch paintbrush. And I looked at our gray minivan, and there was this beautiful white stripe from bumper to bumper. And she's holding that paintbrush in her hand. And I'm just going, oh my. <laughs> and I, fortunately, it was water based paint, and I was able to get it all off as quick as I could. And then I thought, there's two sides to a car. And I ran around to the other side, another, <laughs> I had racing stripes going down both sides of that van. They were beautiful stripes. And she didn't mean harm. But I didn't say, you know, here's a roller, <laughs> you know, finish the job. So, sweetheart, you can't do this. And I gave her a bucket of empty, I gave her a bucket of water and a fresh paint brush. And I said, you can paint your heart's, tent with, heart's content with this water. But kids have to be brought in, reined in. We were talking to a missionary couple, and they were speaking of children from another culture that they were very familiar with, and they'd taken this family out to a restaurant here in the States. And the child was so unruly that he was literally on the restaurant table, running back and forth on the table. And the manager had to come over and say, get the child under, under control or please leave. There are cultures that just think children should just be allowed to have their way. And again, God's word says, the father who doesn't discipline his child hates him. That child will not grow up knowing how to love. He will not grow up learning how to curb his own instincts, his own drives for the betterment of other people. It's the worst thing we could do to our children. We had a camp counselor one summer. I'd known him since he was eight years old. And at 18, 19 years old, he was a counselor with us. Great big muscular guy. His dad had walked out on them when he was a boy. And so he really never had a father's loving discipline. I heard, I think it was Chuck Swindoll just say recently on the radio that the family is the place where a child is supposed to learn to be governed. And if the family doesn't do its job, society will have to. And it won't look pretty. So this boy that was working with us, young man, he went out and got drunk. Well, we've got pretty strict policies about that at his hill. And so I told him, I said, the only way that you can possibly even stay here, and I'm not going to let you be a counselor for a period of time, but even to stay on our property, the only way is you're going to have to acknowledge what you've done before the rest of the staff and ask for, for their forgiveness because what you've done reflects on all of us. That's the way life is. 
He was so mad. I thought he was going to hit me. Just bowed up. And I stopped and I said, um, I love you. And I've known you since you were eight years old. And the reason I'm making you do this is because it is for your best. And he just started bawling. Just that quick, he turned. And just threw himself across me and sobbed across my neck and said, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to make it hurt. Because he never had a dad to do that. And we went into our chapel where everybody was and um, he had to humble himself. He told everybody what he had done and said, please forgive me. And you can imagine the response. He was so fully forgiven and we could move forward. But without the discipline, it would not have been redemptive. We are not treating people with respect when we act as though there are no consequences for sinful behavior. You've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty, and part one of our director, Charlie McCall's sermon entitled, The Disciplining of Children. Tune in next week to hear part two of this mini-series. We are at the end of our first week of summer staff training and have one more week before the campers come. Please keep our summer staff and incoming campers in your prayers that their hearts would be open to the truth and that everything we do this summer will be done for the glory of God and not for our own gain. Thanks for joining us this week for another episode of the His Hill Podcast. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I'm Lizzie and we'll see you next week.